Good evening. So nice to see all of you. We are in the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. We've been making our way through this book. And in chapter 10, we begin what is a collection of Proverbs by Solomon. Some of them he may have written, some of them he collected. But as opposed to the first nine chapters where we were really looking at a theme in each section... And Solomon opened by talking about wisdom and the rewards and blessings of wisdom, wisdom's praise. We now get into what is just sort of an anthology, if you will, of different sayings that he collected. There is sort of an, uh, an overall theme in some of the chapters, from chapters 10 to chapters, uh, chapter 15. Uh, we know that the theme is pretty clear. It's the godly and the wicked, the godly and the wicked. So the, the All of the sayings that he collected or wrote have to do with a contrast between those who are godly and those who are wicked. So that's what we're going to be looking at actually over the next couple of weeks. We're going to handle probably about two chapters uh, a night as we go through those chapters. Uh, We'll get into chapter 16 through 22 as well, and there we'll be talking about the godly life. And so after contrasting the godly and the wicked, then we'll begin to observe or analyze the godly life. And as we get into those sayings, all of them are, again, an overall theme, but many of them are just sort of individual sayings that have very powerful meanings. Most of those meanings pretty easy to understand, uh, but I'll point out some of the poetry and some of the parallelism and the way that it's communicated. Uh, It's really quite interesting Hebrew poetry, and it supersedes the ability to read the poems and the Proverbs in their original language, because Hebrew poetry isn't about the rhyming the way English poetry many times is. It's more about the themes and the parallel themes of contrasting one thing with another and doing it in such a way where you elaborate on a theme and say the same thing a number of different ways. We saw that in the book of Job. We saw that in our study in the Psalms. But this evening, again, we're going to be looking at chapters 10 and 11, the godly and the wicked contrasted, and so we'll begin in a word of prayer and get right into chapter 10, verse 1. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Proverbs, and we ask now, in your name, we ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding to receive the most amount of wisdom that we can as it relates to our own lives and be able to apply these lessons to our individual lives. May each of us take home something that can help us to make better decisions, to be godly and not wicked, but also to reap the rewards and the benefits of using wisdom, your wisdom, from your word, as we make those decisions for our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's look. uh, Probably the best way for me to teach this is, is to read and comment as we go through. As I said, these themes are pretty clear. We have the godly and the wicked contrasted. But in chapter 10, we're really focused in on the things we do and the things we say. And I think you'll note that as far as wisdom is concerned, it's usually observed in our lives by the things we do and the things we say. If we do something unwise or say something unwise, we're either 
Uh, if we do something wise, we're blessed. If we say something wise, we're blessed. But if we do something unwise or say something unwise, usually it brings consequences to our lives. And that I think we'll see pretty loud and clear. Let's look at some of these proverbs. Again, a collection of short sayings, sayings that all have uh, an overall theme, but individually have lessons for us. Uh, The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. And and that's a pretty straightforward idea, but, but notice the poetry, right? You have the contrast of the wise son and the foolish son, but you also have the contrast of the father and the mother. And that's just done for poetic verse, for poetic reasons. But what it does is it shows us, you know, a wise son does bring joy to his family. Specifically, the father is mentioned here. But then the foolish son grief to his mother. And it's not as if the foolish son doesn't bring grief to his father and that the wise son doesn't bring joy to the mother. It's just that in the poetry, by having a contrast of the father and the mother and the wise son and the foolish son, it makes the saying more powerful and more beautiful to read. So it's important you don't look at these literally and say, well, see, a wise son doesn't bring joy to his mother. That's not what it's saying. The idea, the the, the construction of the Proverbs is about poetic verse. I'm pointing that out. You'll see a lot of that in here. It's important that you don't approach these literally, or even, as we said in our opening a couple of weeks ago, that you don't look at these as a hard and fast rule. These are generalizations. They're generally true. But they're not always true, and they're not supposed to be. They're truths, wise sayings that can be applied to our lives. But it's not as if we're reading the book of Hebrews or even the book of Ephesians or Romans where we can take something, a lesson, very literally because it is a specific teaching from Scripture. These are more or less, and and, and it is Scripture, it's God's Word, but these are more or less generalizations that give us wisdom and remind us that it's important to use wisdom when we're making our decisions and how we, again, live the things we do and the things we say. Now, notice ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. And there you have this contrast of things that you receive or get in, in the wrong way. Maybe you steal or you take from someone. But righteousness delivers from death. The idea is when you live a righteous life, it brings blessing. It actually brings deliverance from the things that would kill you. And if you think about it, it's a powerful verse because as you go out and steal or gain ill-gotten treasures, you're endangering your life because of the person or the people that you're stealing from. So again, I don't want to over-explain these, but I'm just trying to give you the key to understanding the power of these wisdom uh, sayings and these uh, proverbs so that you see not to take them so literally, but to, to apply them in a way where you gain the wisdom of God. So ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. Now, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. Now, understand, there are plenty of righteous people who have gone hungry in this world. So to, to take this and say, well, see, the Bible says the righteous, you know, they're, they're never hungry. That's not what it says. The idea, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. That is, he allows the righteous to receive their blessings for being righteous. But notice he thwarts the craving of the wicked. So the things that the wicked crave never really satisfy, never really satisfy them. That's the idea. Righteousness will satisfy your soul. The things of wickedness will not. 
I like this one pretty straightforward. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. I think we all understand what that means. If you're lazy, you are not going to do well in life. You're not going to be successful. Being diligent brings wealth, blessing, prosperity. And he who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. You know, men in the family were looked upon to bring in the harvest. And it's interesting when you think about it because it's an agrarian society, so a lot of the year they didn't need to work per se, but in harvest they needed to work. Farmers work at a certain time of year very, very hard, and then they get through the winter because of the work that they had done when the weather was good. So think about it, you have this son, and he, he, doesn't, he doesn't gather, he doesn't do anything, he sleeps during the harvest, that would be equivalent today to having a child who just refuses to work or to do anything around the house, uh, except maybe play video games. Go into your refrigerator and uh, use all of your resources. And that, of course, would be unwise to allow a child to live that way. Many people, unfortunately, have not read this proverb. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Again, that contrast between the righteous and the wicked. The way it works is the righteous are blessed, the wicked are not. Uh, The memory of the righteous will be a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. The idea is that legacy you leave behind. If you live a righteous life, you'll be a blessing. Even after you're gone, people will think back and remember you, but the name of the wicked will rot. That is, people would just rather forget about you. Verse 8, the wise in heart accept commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Those that listen are blessed, you might say. Verse 9, the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. Now, crooked paths, that's an analogy. The idea is walking not on the straight and narrow, but walking in ways that are perverse, walking in ways that are wicked. Again, it's the same theme. We're restating it a number of different ways. But notice, integrity brings security, but a lack of integrity, which is taking the crooked path, causes you to be found out. And aren't we glad when certain people that are corrupt and wicked, maybe in government or in society or even within the church, are in fact found out? I'm one of those people that's perfectly happy when someone who's wicked is found out. Because, after all, uh, it is not a good thing to have people you trust not live in a way that they should. And when we see that, them being found out, well, that is the consequence of living an unrighteous life. But notice, the man of integrity walks securely. And it's so important you realize that if you live in integrity, if you live a good life, you can be secure, even if someone brings charges against you indicts you, even comes up with false charges against you. If you walk right and upright before God, you have nothing to fear. You can walk securely. Now, of course, in a corrupt system, sometimes righteous people suffer, but that's, again, a generalization. We're saying that you should walk uprightly because you'll be blessed. Now, this is interesting. He who winks maliciously causes grief, and a chattering fool comes to ruin. We're back to that, a chattering fool. A chattering fool. What's a chattering fool? It's a person who doesn't follow God, but has a lot to say. Have you noticed that uh, you can oftentimes identify a fool by their much speaking? I mean, the book of Proverbs kind of points us in that direction. A fool is known for his much speaking. A chattering fool. It's a person who talks and talks and talks and eventually talks themselves into ruin. 
And when someone winks maliciously, it's this idea of doing things that are un- underhanded. They're winking because they're really not sincere. And so you have that person that causes grief to others and to their families. Notice in verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Again, we, we saw that already, that violence overwhelms the mouth of of the wicked. In other words, what the wicked say ultimately brings violence into their lives. I often think about situations where someone's involved in an altercation. The best thing you can do is walk away, right? I mean, if someone's harassing you, sometimes you can't walk away and you have to, you have to do something about it. But in general, you want to walk away if you can. You want to diffuse a situation, right? You want to. But if you can diffuse a situation and you choose not to, then your mouth oftentimes becomes wicked. You use the wrong kind of language, you incite a situation, and then you experience violence. Not that you should, but you will. You oftentimes can diffuse that. Road rage is a good example. Oftentimes people are provoked on the road when if you just ignored them, it would have gone better with you. I admit it's very difficult to ignore that on the road. But I have literally heard stories over the last couple of years of people throwing things out of their car, at another car, causing accidents. You know, uh, I read in the newspaper people taking a, a weapon and, and firing a gun at a car. Uh, there, there are stories of people following someone home and then, you know, assaulting them. So sometimes if you can just ignore it, it's better, right? And that's why I think we see the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. What you want to do is say things that bring life. But if you say wicked things, you bring violence. That's the point. I think we see that played out in real time. Uh, Verse 12, hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. So what kind of person are you? You're always causing problems? Are you a troublemaker? Are you the kind of person that, you know, uh, you hate somebody, so you, you cause problems, dissension, division? Or, as it says here, When you love somebody, you cover all wrongs. That's okay. You let it go. You move on. But if you keep digging things up and bringing things up and causing problems in your family and between you and others you're in a relationship with, um, you're not being loving. It's hateful to do that, to cause problems. But notice love covers all wrongs. That is forgiveness. Loving people in that way. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It does mean, though, that you look for peace. Verse 13, wisdom is found on the lips of the discerning, that is the wise person, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks judgment. So notice, the person who says the right things says things that are wise, but the person who doesn't ends up getting beaten for it. And in this case, the rod was used for punishment. And so just like today, we may be locked up. Uh, We may be sentenced to several months or years in prison. At that time, people also received a corporal punishment, and they would actually be beaten. And uh, that doesn't necessarily happen in our world today. It could, I imagine, in certain jurisdictions, in certain parts of the world it does. Uh, But notice, that's the result of someone who lacks judgment, doesn't have wisdom. Verse 14, wise men store up knowledge, but the fool, excuse me, the mouth of a fool invites ruin. So again, you have that contrast. Are you wise or are you foolish? Do you say foolish things? Do you say wise things? Notice verse 16, the wages of the righteous bring them life. That is the things they earn, the things they gain in this life. But notice the income of the wicked brings them punishment. 
It's because of the way they receive their income. So if you live a righteous life, you work hard, then your wages bring life to you. They, they bless you. They provide for you. But the income of the wicked, who do wicked things to get that income, find that their, their income brings them judgment. And that you could imagine very easily if you're stealing or let's say you're dealing drugs, or you're doing something wicked to gain your income, eventually you're probably going to get caught, and then you're judged for it. So this would be an argument against doing whatever you can just to make money. Verse 17, he who heeds discipline shows the way of life, but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. It's very interesting. You're a disciplined person. You're showing others the way to live, the, the way to life if you're a disciplined person. Those of us who lack discipline need to remember this proverb. Your lesson or your teaching of your life as you live a life of discipline is going to bless those around you, especially your children, your family, those people who work with you, if you're a teacher, your students. But notice if you ignore correction, that would be another way of saying you lack discipline or instruction or you don't receive it. You actually lead others astray. Because your life teaches others not to be disciplined. You'll see the book of Proverbs is very clear. Discipline is a good thing. Hebrews chapter 12 echoes that. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So that's instruction and correction. There's nothing wrong with that. So if you abhor that, you're not going to come out uh, in a prosperous way in this life. In verse 18, he who conceals his hatred has lying lips. And whoever spreads slander is a fool. Now, that's an interesting observation, because if you conceal your hatred, you might think, well, that's a good thing, right? I'm not saying how I really feel. But really, all you're doing is lying. You have to deal with that hatred in your heart. So if you conceal that hatred, you have lying lips. You can't be trusted. That's not good. But notice, if you open your mouth and you spread slander, you're a fool. So both of those things, are, 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 if you open your mouth or you keep your mouth closed, both of those things are wrong and foolish. So you can look at that, and then what's not said? Well, what's not said is how you say things that are loving and, and, and forgive that person. Again, back to the way we were talking before uh, about love covering all wrongs. So, you know, it's not stated there, but it's, it's, it's inferred that you would not do these two things, you would do something else. Or it's inferred by us, it's implied by the text. Verse 19, when words are many, this is very interesting, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. I think that just puts a period at the end of the sentence. For all that talking, many times people who talk a lot, they're really, they're really up to something. I always get nervous when a salesperson talks a lot. It's almost like they're trying to distract you, like a magician, trying to, don't look over there, you know, look over here. Where words are many, sin is not absent. But notice, holding your tongue is wise. Now, that, that doesn't mean that what we read in verse 18 is wrong, concealing your hatred. Understand, each of these verses teaches some aspect of being wise. I guess you might say it this way. Hold your tongue. Don't say more than you need to. Don't speak in such a way that you're saying too much, hold your tongue, not necessarily not say anything. Keep your words, let your words be few, we might say. Let your words be wise. Let them be well chosen. Because people who just talk on and on, oftentimes 
uh, end up saying something sinful or actually in their heart they are harboring sin. Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is choice silver. We'll get back to that choice silver. Where the, the idea, it's just, you're very careful about the things you say. But the heart of the wicked is of little value. And we're using silver as value in this poetry here against no value. Silver is valuable. Uh, the heart of the wicked is of no value. It's encouraging us to keep in mind, use your tongue, say and speak wisely. Say things that are wise and speak wisely. Because the heart of the wicked has nothing to offer that's of any good to anyone. The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of judgment. And I want you to see that what we say is featured here. It's not just what we do, what we say. The lips of the righteous nourish many. Do your words fill people's lives? You know, encouragement really is a gift. You can comfort, you can encourage, you can instruct with the word of God. Or just from your heart, you can encourage people. Listen, I've been challenged as of late that when I have an opportunity to encourage someone, I do it. You know, don't hold those words back. Those are things that need to be expressed so that you might uh, nourish many. But notice, fools die for a lack of judgment. They, they, They come to no good because they simply do not have the wisdom to encourage others. Verse 22, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. Now, there's an implication there, because if you gain wealth, and we've seen this already through ill-gotten means, then that wealth does bring trouble. So if you're seeking wealth and you're doing it in the wicked way, then it's, it's just going to end up destroying your life. But notice, the blessing of the Lord brings wealth. So you live for God, not seeking wealth, but seeking God's glory, and you gain wealth because you're prosperous. But that wealth that God brings into your life will not bring trouble. When you go after that yourself, and that's your your determination, think of what Paul said in uh, 1 Timothy. You know, some eager for wealth have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. That idea that you really brought trouble into your life. Why did you bring that trouble? Because you wanted to be wealthy. How many people do we know that because that was their goal, have destroyed their families, have destroyed their lives? So true. Verse 23, a fool finds pleasure in evil conduct, but a man of understanding delights in wisdom. So there you have it, pretty much stated for us. Verse 24, what the wicked dreads will overtake him. What the righteous desire will be granted. Now, this poetic verse has to do with what we desire or what we think about, what we feel will happen in our lives. Notice the wicked person walks around looking over their shoulder, waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for the consequences of their wickedness. But notice it says what the wicked dreads will overtake him. That is, his fears will actually come true. Because as we know, what a man sows, he'll reap. And in contrast to that, the righteous desires things that are righteous, and we're told that the things that that person desires will be granted. So you have fear versus desire, righteous versus wicked. Beautiful poetry, because it's all about the contrast. Okay, verse 25. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone. But the righteous stand firm forever. That makes me think of the man who built his house on a rock. 
versus the one who built it on, a sand, on the sand, right? When the storm is swept by, the wicked are gone. When difficulties come their way, the wicked are nowhere to be found, but the righteous stand firm forever. Verse 26, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a sluggard to those who send him. Now that's, again, uh, a proverb dealing with laziness. You send somebody to do something. You have somebody working for you. And, you know, you send them out and you're not watching them, right? So you don't know what they're doing. And vinegar to the teeth. that, that, That sounds like something unpleasant because it probably is. I'm not one of those people that love vinegar. I mean, I have it on salad. But too much vinegar, it's kind of tart, right? Even balsamic, which I do like, it, it just, you know, vinegar to the teeth, it, it kind of, it just, it, it's not always a pleasant experience. Notice smoke to the eyes. Have you ever been around a fire pit and the wind blows or there's a breeze and the smoke goes in your eyes and then your eyes are burning? Okay, poetic way of saying, not a pleasant experience for the person who sends a sluggard or a lazy person to do something. You know, a couple of years ago, I remember there was, a, I had a friend who worked for an air conditioning company, uh, HVAC, and uh, he was a supervisor, and he had a bunch of guys, you know, that were union, and they drove in the trucks and everything, and uh, they realized that these guys oftentimes would take their trucks out, and they would park somewhere and sleep. I mean, this kind of stuff happens, and uh, it shouldn't, but that's the very definition of a sluggard, right? So they finish a job early, and they pull over to the side, or they go get something to eat when they're not supposed to. And uh, they had no way of knowing this was happening, but what my friend would do sometimes, he would drive in the area, and he would see the trucks, you know, and the trucks had numbers on them, so he knew who was supposed to be driving that truck. The person wasn't in it. They weren't at a job site. Where were they? Or they were laying down in the back. So they implemented this thing when GPS devices came out around 2000, the year 2000, they started to put these GPS devices in the trucks. So they knew in real time where everyone was. Oh, there was an uproar, an invasion of privacy, you know, because these workers were enjoying the sluggard lifestyle until those things were installed. Now, I know uh, Chris works for UPS. I think they might have that on, your, on, on trucks. I'm sure they do, right? Yeah, they know when you're wearing a seatbelt and when you're not. Okay, well, there you go. Welcome, big brother. Yeah, so things are different now, but there used to be a time where it was easier to get away with some of these things. But why, why should you do that, right? I mean, listen, I worked in an office for 20 years and had a great career, was very happy there. Uh, there were times where you had nothing to do. You finished your reports. You're wait- you know, I was an analyst, so I'm waiting for some senior manager to get back to me. I'm sitting there by the phone. I got nothing to do. I'm cruising the internet because I literally, it didn't happen that often, to be honest, because I always had something to work on. But I had a priority list, and sometimes I finished it. And I was waiting on other people in the team to get me information. So occasionally, you know, you, you do that. I didn't really have time for solitaire, but I certainly, you know, would, would take a moment, maybe make a phone call, do whatever. That's a little different than, you know, you have work to do, and you're taking a snooze on the side of the road. Not exactly an inspiring worker. And we see that that is certainly very true. So, verse 27, the fear of the Lord adds length to life, but the years of the wicked are cut short. So if you want to live a long life, a life of blessing, live in the fear of the Lord. If you fear God, if you revere God, you're not going to do things that will destroy your life. And therefore, you'll live longer. 
the years of the wicked are cut short. How true is this? So true. People who do wicked things, they, they don't live long. Oftentimes, they're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Or they do things to their bodies that bring harm. And that wickedness does cut their lives short. Sad, really. I mean, how many times I read articles online in the newspaper. 23-year-old's dead or 34-year-old's dead. And, and, and I always look to see, I mean, what happened? Most of the time, you know, they say, oh, the death was, you know, the, the reason they died, the cause of death was not disclosed. But you read a little bit more, you find out they found them in their apartment unresponsive, you know, and you start to put two and two together. You realize they were living a wicked life. Not always, but certainly a lot of the time. Verse 28, the prospect of the righteous is joy. We want joy, amen? The prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. So all the hope that you have in life, all the things you want, living a righteous life will bring those things, blessing. Living a wicked life will not. Verse 29, the way of the Lord is a refuge for the righteous, but it is the ruin of those who do evil. So coming to God, if you're wicked, well, that's just going to bring judgment. But if you're righteous, it's a refuge. It's a place of safety. That's why wicked people don't like to be in church. They don't like to be in God's word. They don't want to be in a place where they're going to be exposed. But the righteous do. Verse 30, the righteous will never be uprooted, but the wicked will not remain in the land. There's that contrast again, like the man who built his house on a rock and the man who built his house on the sand. Verse 31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be cut out. That's really interesting, the judgment that comes on those who are perverse. Terrible things happen to perverse people and things that, uh, people that say perverse things. But when you're righteous, the things you say, they're oftentimes quoted by others because they're wise. They're from God's word. Verse 32, the lips of the righteous know what is fitting, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. And it's interesting. You have that contrast. You really know who someone is by the things they say, right? The jokes they tell, the things they talk about. I mean, you know, I I didn't work in a Well, I worked in UPS for a little while, but I never really, I worked in an an office most of my life. And, but still there were people who went around telling filthy stories and filthy jokes and making filthy comments. And, uh, you know, those people never really did well. Things tend to be bad in the life of a person that's always speaking perversely. But the person that knows what to say, knows what's fitting, what's right, what's appropriate, you might say, uh, those are righteous people. And so we get through chapter 10 and I'll get a lot of different thoughts, not hard to understand, but uh, interesting to make application, the things we do, the things we say. And in closing on this chapter, I would say that our actions will bring blessings or severe consequences for us and for those we love. Not just us, but our loved ones. Think about what Galatians chapter 6 says in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. And the one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, 
and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. There you have a scripture that teaches the truth of the Proverbs we've read. Now, the Proverbs poetically state that truth, but that scripture explicitly states in a way that we can just take it and, and, and apply it and teach it to others, the truth of all that we read in chapter 10. One other scripture I want to mention, because so much of what we talked about in this chapter had to do with the things we say. Our words will likewise bring us blessings or bring us a great deal of trouble. You can get into a lot of trouble by opening up your mouth. You really can. I've seen it. Diffusing a situation is so important, and a wise person really does know how to diffuse a situation. You know, if someone gets upset and you remain calm, and you say, look, I'm sorry, did, did I offend you? I, I apologize. And, uh, you know, oftentimes it, it brings everything down. But if you start going, oh, yeah, 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 you go back and forth like that. Before long, people are pushing, they're shoving. It gets ugly quick. And we do have the power to be able to diffuse situations with our words. Uh, so in James chapter 3, which I'm sure you're familiar with, I want to read this section. It's pretty straightforward. James says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil. Among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. So that goes to show you like, just how much power we have by the words we say. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So that has to do with the things we say, the way we speak, the words we use. And that's what we learn in chapter 10. Back to the book of Proverbs. Picking up where we left off in Proverbs chapter 11. This has to do with the way we treat others. Okay, so the things we do, the things we say, but now we're going to talk about the way we treat others and how we deal with them. Because on that same subject of the godly and the wicked, so much of what happens in our lives for good or for evil has to do with how we treat others. Because you see, wisdom teaches us to have character. Character is integrity, humility, knowledge and understanding, discretion. These are the things that it means when we say that person, that, that, that woman, that man is a person of character. Character, a person of character, lives uprightly, righteously, blameless, with confidence, generosity, and kindness. And we know that that's the character and the nature of Jesus. What Proverbs 11 tries to do is teach us that this is the way in which we ought to live. Let's look at these sayings here in chapter 11, and then we'll be done for the night. In chapter 11, verse 1, the Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Now, what that means 
is when you would go to the market and you would purchase something, they would weigh it. And then when you sold something, they would weigh it. When you sold something, you used one, you know, a set of weights. And when you purchased it, you used a set of weights. You're supposed to use the same set of weights for purchasing and selling. That's the idea. In other words, if you have scales, imagine if you went to buy produce and, you know, they weighed the produce and it was a scale that, you know, made it seem like the produce was heavy. But then when they gave you the, the whatever you were trading for it or the money or the weight in silver or gold, that scale was light kind of like putting your finger on the scale. It's a dishonest person that looks to charge more than they should for their goods. That's the person that's described here. And there are people like that. Padding the bill. Lying about services that have been given. Uh, you know, that, that happens, unfortunately. So there you go. That's what the Lord abhors. Notice in verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. And we know that truth. Verse 3, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. And it's true. Those who are unfaithful, they do things that are duplicitous. They, they, They say one thing and do another. But a person of integrity, the integrity guides them. The integrity of the upright guides them. Notice verse 4, wealth is worthless in the day of wrath or judgment, but righteousness delivers from death. So, when we stand before God, how much money we've accumulated, how, much, how many things we own, our goods, our possessions, mean nothing. But how we've lived means everything. Verse 5, the righteousness of the blameless makes a straight way for them, but the wicked are brought down by their own wickedness. Verse 6, the righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the unfaithful are trapped by evil desires. And notice that their righteousness, those who are upright, gets them out of trouble. But notice those who are unfaithful, who are unrighteous, actually are trapped by the things they desire that gets them into trouble. So how you live will get you out of trouble or get you into trouble. I think we all know that. Verse 7, when a wicked man dies, his hope perishes. All he expected from his power comes to nothing. And that's certainly very true when a wicked person dies. But the righteous man, in verse 8, is rescued from trouble, and it comes on the wicked instead. That's, That's awfully just if you ask me. The wicked receive all of the trouble that the righteous man is rescued from. Verse 9, with his mouth, the godless destroys his neighbor. With his mouth, notice. But through knowledge, the righteous escape. So if someone is godless and they come after you, you should know enough to escape or or get out of that situation intact and not being destroyed by these godless individuals. Verse 10, when the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Now, I happen to like that one because here you have contrast and comparison. You have the contrast of the righteous prospering and the wicked perishing. But notice, you have the comparison. It's the same. In both cases, the city rejoices. People of the city rejoice when the righteous do well because the righteous do well with what God has blessed them with. 
But when the wicked, are, are, they perish and they're taken out of the picture, people rejoice as well. There are shouts of joy. And I think we'd all probably shout for joy if some of the wicked people in our world were taken out of the picture. And why wouldn't we? But those who are righteous, those who are righteous, as we see here, well, the righteous know that living a righteous life will bring blessing. Verse 11. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. I can't help but think of the many cities that are suffering in our own nation today. Why are they suffering? Well, they've rejected the blessing of the upright, and therefore, rather than being exalted, they're destroyed by the mouth of the wicked people that live there. I think of San Francisco. Uh, The wicked people of that city have basically destroyed that once great city. No one wants to go there. I read stories. It sounds like a horror show. Imagine that. And that's not the only city. New York has gotten like that. Philadelphia has become that. Chicago, please. You have a bulletproof vest? You're going to need one if you go to Chicago. So this, this, we've seen this played out. The blessing of the upright bring exaltation, or through that the city is exalted, but the mouth, or by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. And we've seen it in real time. Verse 12, a man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. You have to live next to this person. Think about it. If you mouth off to the person you live next to, it's not as if you were at the supermarket and you got into it with somebody, and not that that's right. But now every day you leave your house, you got this person right next to you, and you got this thing right here. Why would you do that? Why would you do that to yourself? That You would lack judgment if you were to do that. So you hold your tongue. Best thing to do if you can. Notice verse 13 related to gossip. But gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Hey, listen, there are people who love to tell your secrets to others. And when you say, please don't share this with someone, you better be sure that they're not a gossip. Because otherwise, they will. And in today's world, with social media, boy, you can get a secret out there awfully quick. Verse 14, for lack of guidance, a nation falls. Wow, isn't that true? But many advisors make victory sure. So a nation can fall without guidance. We see it happening now in our nation and throughout the world. But notice, many advisors make victory sure. Essentially, we live in a world now where people only listen to people who agree with them. So rather than having many advisors, they only listen to those people that tell them what they want to hear. As a result, a nation falls. Sometimes you need those critics to tell you, hey, what you're doing is wrong. You need to listen to it, maybe change course. No, on both sides, everybody gets into their lane and they never deviate. There's no consensus. There's no communication anymore. And so we were once a great nation and not so much anymore. Verse 15, he who puts up security for another will suffer. But whoever refuses to strike hands in a pledge is safe. We talked about this already in our studies. The book of Proverbs tells us over and over again, do not co-sign for a loan. Do not use your credit to help somebody else. If you want to bless somebody, bless them, but do not loan them money. Do not get into that way of thinking. Putting up security for someone, you're going to suffer. You are going to suffer because what's happening is you're taking on their responsibility, except that many times they're not responsible. And so now you'd be wiser to refuse to strike hands in a pledge. You'll, You'll stay safe that way. 
Verse 16, a kind-hearted woman gains respect, but, a ruthless, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Now again, we have that contrast between a woman and a man. We have the kind-hearted woman gaining respect and the ruthless men only wealth. Poetic contrast. To make clear, we should all be kind-hearted to gain respect, and none of us should be ruthless, because if all you're doing is trying to get rich, you are going to be ruthless. So there's another poetic verse. Verse 17, a kind man, notice we talked about a kind-hearted woman, now we talked about a kind man. A kind man benefits himself, but a cruel man brings trouble on himself. Cruel people always do. Verse 18, the wicked man earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward. A lot of this has to do with how we earn our living. A wicked man earns deceptive wages. There are people who are in sales that can't be trusted. I don't know why you'd buy something from someone you can't trust, but many times we do. There are certain industries that are notorious for, as it describes here, wicked men and women taking money, overcharging, ripping people off. But notice he who sows righteousness will reap a sure reward. There are salespeople that understand that you do the right thing by your client and your customer. You take care of them. And that brings a sure reward. Maybe it doesn't bring the ill-gotten gain, but remember those deceptive wages always bring a curse. They don't bring a blessing. Verse 19, the truly righteous man attains life, but he who pursues evil goes to his death. And there you go. Notice a truly righteous man. Verse 20, the Lord detests men of perverse heart. Now, we were talking about perverse lips. Now we're talking about the heart. The Lord detests men of perverse heart, but he delights in those whose ways are blameless. Verse 21, be sure of this. The wicked will not go unpunished, but those who are righteous will go free. I'd like to take that verse and apply it to all of the chaos in our government and in the news today. It'd be wonderful if the wicked would not go Unpunished. Sadly, as I've said, these are generalizations. Many times in corrupt government, the exact thing, the exact opposite thing happens. The wicked never seem to be punished, right, for their wickedness and their corruption uh, because they, they figure out a way to get around it. Uh, but those who are righteous will go free. Many times the righteous end up in jail. So remember what I said. These are not like so much promises from God's word as they are generalizations and words of wisdom. But sadly, in a corrupt society, many times the exact opposite thing happens because of the corruption in our world. But let's pray that the wicked will not go unpunished and those who are righteous will go free. Amen? This is an interesting one. Like a gold ring, which is a nice thing, right? A gold, gold ring is beautiful. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. It's very interesting because a gold ring, well, that's, that's the contrast here, a gold ring, a pig snout, right? Now, why would you put those two things together? They're extremes. It's an extreme contrast. Well, so is a beautiful woman without discretion. That is, the beautiful woman might be attractive. She may get the attention of men and others around her. But if she doesn't show discretion, it's like the contrast between a gold ring and a pig's snout. And I think that's a very powerful verse. Verse 23, the desire of the righteous ends only in good, but the hope of the wicked only in wrath. 
Verse 24, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. Now this speaks of generosity, clearly. And isn't it true that if you give freely, you gain even more? Amen. Is it more blessed to give than to receive? Yeah, Jesus, Jesus made it clear to us. Living that kind of life, it brings greater blessing. But notice, if you, un, if you withhold unduly, it's within your power to give and to bless, and you don't, you're going to come to poverty. Because one day you'll need, and there'll be no one to bail you out. But certainly God doesn't bless the person who is stingy. Whatever man sows, that also shall he reap. Verse 25, notice a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. When you're generous, that generosity brings the result uh, in others, pe- other people's lives that you've taught them. If you're generous with others, they'll be generous with you. But if you're stingy and hold back, as we've said, uh, there'll be no one to be there for you when you need something. Verse 26, people curse the man who hoards grain. But blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. The idea here is in a time of drought or a time of famine, someone who has it within their power to sell grain to the, to the hungry, to the needy, but hoards it, it doesn't, like the person that runs to the supermarket in a pandemic and buys up all the toilet paper. That kind of person, you know? Uh, that kind of person, notice, is cursed. <laughs> Especially if you got to the Trader Joe's and there was no toilet paper left. So you see, people curse the man who hoards grain or hoards goods, but they bless those who say, you know what, I'll sell you my grain. I I don't need all that I have. I'll bless you and your family. It's not even a handout. It's just the willingness to sell. But hoarding is never a good thing. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people that, under the, the guise of preparing for the lean years, will hoard. And they'll even use scripture to say this. Oh, but, you know, Joseph, Joseph, you know, hoarded the grain for seven years, right? Yeah, but why? So that he could sell it for the seven lean years. It's not, it's not so that you can, you know, loot a store or hoard all of your resources so nobody else can get them. We should be others-minded, others-centered. You know, the idea is that we're treating others the way we want to be treated. I think we've heard of that before. We call it the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Verse 27, he who seeks good finds good will, but evil comes to him who searches for it. When you seek to do good, good will will come back to you. But of course, if you seek to do evil, you'll find it. Others will show you evil. You'll receive evil in response to the evil that you give. Whoever trusts in his riches, verse 28, will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. So you don't trust in riches, you trust, trust in God. That's what it means to be righteous. Verse 29, he who brings trouble on his family will inherit only wind. And the fool will be servant to the wise. You see, what happens here, and I, I wish more people, especially young people, realize this. When you bring trouble into your family, when you bring trouble into your life, and to, those, and to the lives of those that love you, you inherit only wind. The idea is, is you, you, you bring nothing except trouble into your home, into your life, into your family, to your parents. You know, so many kids, they break their parents' hearts. They're not thinking about their parents or their family members or their children or their wives or their husbands. They're thinking about themselves. 
It's so selfish to do this, and so many people do bring trouble into their lives. I think about those that struggle with addiction. Uh, certainly one of the motivators to get over that would be, I want to bless my family. I don't want to keep bringing trouble into my home. You notice the fool is going to be servant to the wise. Verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, which represents eternal blessing, right? The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Now, that we can apply this to winning souls for Christ, but what it really means is winning souls that, like you, building good relationships with others, being a righteous person. You're a tree of life to others. You're a blessing to others. And therefore, because you're a blessing, people consider you to be a friend or family, and you're winning their soul. And that's a wise thing to do. And finally, in chapter 11, if the righteous receive their due on earth, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? And think about that. That's really an overall encouragement to be righteous and not wicked, right? If the, I'm going to read it again. Think about that truth. If the righteous receive their due on earth, and they often do, most of the time they do, Hey, much, how much more the ungodly and the sinner? So think about the things you do. Think about the things you say. Think about the way you treat others and how you deal with them. That's what these two chapters tell us. Each of those little sayings have their own powerful teaching, but all of them put together should make it abundantly clear to each and every one of us that the things we do, the things we say, and how we treat others and how we deal with them can show others that we truly are righteous and godly and that we fear God, or that we are wicked and that we don't fear God at all. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace with us. We ask that you would help us to live our lives for you, to be righteous, to live righteous lives, to treat others the way that we would have us to be treated, to treat others the way that we know you would treat them. And Lord God, watch our tongues, help us to guard our mouths, the things we say, to live our lives in a way that glorifies you, that we might bring glory to you. For we know that you came and died on the cross for our sins. You gave it all for us. You rose again on the third day. You're coming again to judge the living and the dead. And as we cry out to you and claim you as our Savior, the one who saved us on the cross, It isn't enough to just do that, but we need to show the good works that come the result of faith in you. And we can only do that by the power of your spirit. May you give us your Holy Spirit that we might live lives that bring glory to you. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.